All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Wednesday, June 15th of 2022. Thanks for tuning into the stream here today. I apologize, running a bit late getting in here today. So thank you for everybody that was patient with me here, uh, getting this thing off the ground here today. Uh, I was over with the, the Run Pure guys just before this, uh, talking a little bit of US Open uh, strategy, building golf uh, DFS lineups with Saberson there on their channel. Uh, ran a little bit long, so uh, had to had to finish off that stream. But uh, going back to back here for you guys today, I'm ready to ready to rock on uh, office hours here as well. So uh, if by chance this is your first time that you've uh, watched or listened to this show, first of all, I apologize that you uh, happened to get one where I was running a few minutes late. But my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. Uh, and Office Hours is an open Q and A style show where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about DFS, about SaberSim, whatever you guys want to talk about. If you have questions you would like me to answer on this show, you can email us, support at sabersim.com. You can post your questions into chat, into YouTube chat, if you're watching here live. Uh, and you can ask questions in the Office Hours channel in our Slack community as well. Uh, I typically try to hit those questions in Slack first, uh, the ones coming from directly from uh, the community there. If you are not already a part of our Slack, get joined up. It's free. Uh, it's, there's a link to join in the description of every past show. You get access to that office hours channel, but you also get access, uh, to all of the other wonderful conversations going on there every day. There's a lot of really sharp DFS players in there, uh, always talking, answering questions, things like that. We also have SIM alerts, which are really helpful. Uh, I think an underrated part of the Slack community there uh, is those alerts that are plugged into the, the underdog and the uh, Twitter channel so you know when news is breaking and also our SIM so you know when new SIMs are running. Uh, just really useful, really, really helpful part of the process uh, if you're using SaberSim anyway. So definitely get joined up there. But um, anyway, uh, we, ha we have some questions in our queue here for today. Uh, I don't know exactly what they are yet. We'll uh, we'll pull them up on screen here uh, and just start kind of walking through them here. So um, let's do it. Let's see where we're at. Um, okay, so I'm just going to pick these up from, from where we left off yesterday. So the first one was from Bill. Um, and this is actually kind of an interesting one here. Um, so let me get, let me get organized here. Um, and this one says, has there been any discussion about setting stack exposures prior to the first build? I love that they carry over now to the next build, uh, but it'd be cool to do it from the get go. Yeah. So this is, this is kind of like a weird thing here, actually, um, that uh, we're, we're planning. So we are planning on building out this uh, kind of rules, kind of dashboard type thing where you could set a rule like that uh, and say, you know, I know from the beginning, right off the bat, I want 30% Red Sox stacks tonight. Uh, let us know up front uh, that, that you want to do that. Um, so that's coming, right? That's something that we want to build. It'll be along with, you know, a bunch of other different types of rules and things like that uh, for now. And I actually think this carries over to eight games. Uh, Follow-up question here as well. Um, you can actually kind of send that information back to the home screen. Uh in a, in a, a bit of a roundabout way. So I'll show you how to do it here. Um, but let's, let's build some lineups here, um, and, and talk about this real quick. So, but we'll let these build here. I'm going to grab a sip of water here. I need to catch my breath a little bit anyway. Um, and then we'll, I'll show you how to do this, but Give this just a second here. And I, I actually, I probably don't need all 500 lineups, but we'll go ahead. We'll build it out. We'll get all 500 in there. 
How is the, uh, somebody let me know, how's the early slate looking? What's going on on the early slate? I haven't had time to check. I ended up with a bunch of Astros, like a ton. I know that's super chalky, um, but I I like, I, I've got Astros. So uh, go Houston for me. Um, I think I got a little bit different on that early with the pitching. Like I didn't really like a lot of the pitching. I didn't like that. It wasn't well, not a great pitching slate. I didn't like a lot of the chalk pitchers. So my pitchers, I ended up getting pretty different there. Um, curious how things are going. Anyway, let, let me tell you what I was talking about. So uh, one thing you can do here. So like, let's say you're looking at this and you say, okay, I only want 70% uh, burns here. Um, and maybe you're going through and, you know, maybe you only want 30% of these guys. So first of all, eight game, uh, to your question, if you want to send these exposures back to the projection screen, right? Uh, what you can do is use this button and send exposures here. And this will automatically, this will send everything back. Uh, what this also does is this will send any stack exposures back as well. So I mentioned like, right, maybe we want to play 30% Boston stacks. Uh, you can actually send this back as well. What is weird about this, and we know it's a little bit weird here, uh, is that you, you actually don't have an interface to see that back on the projections tab. So you can do this. You can send these exposures back. Um, and it, actually, I didn't even, we added this warning here, which is great because before this wasn't here. Uh, and it's saying you're going to send team game and stack exposures back to the home screen where you, you can't change them. Um, and it will apply, but you can only edit them from within the build. So you want to make sure you want to do that. Um, but assuming you want to do that, assuming you want to, you know, send uh, stack exposures back, you can you can click send um, and they will go back there as as you wanted there. So that can be pretty useful. That can be a good tool. Um, I Again, I know it's awkward that you can't see that here. We're building that out, a, a dashboard to see those stack exposures before the build and edit them here. Um, but you can you can do that if you, if you want to. Um, so hopefully kind of two birds with one stone there with those two questions for eight game and Bill. Um, but if there's any follow-up questions there that I need to, to cover a little bit more, let me know. Um, Aaron asks a question here about ownership. Uh, and he said, is there a way to set min lineup ownership? I've seen lineups with 20% ownership with a very high saver score. Should I not worry about it? Uh, I, yeah, I would say, you know, the only time you're probably going to see lineups that low, especially, you know, first of all, I would say, you know, make sure if you're not already, uh, that you're using the default settings for the contest that you're building for, right? Like you can definitely get some really low owned lineups if you've cranked ownership fade way up. Uh, so I would say be cautious there. That's one thing to look at. But, you know, apart from that, I think if you're getting lineups that are very low owned, it, you know, it might be something that we're like yesterday we had a 15 game slate, right? If you get, you know, if you play two pretty well projected, but kind of lower owned pitchers and then stack two lower owned teams, like you can get, you can get lineups that are that low owned. Um, overall, I wouldn't worry about it too much at all. Um, ownership sum really, you know, I don't even think is a very good measurement of a lineup. I, I don't think ownership sum is just a very good measurement period. It's not my favorite tool to, to judge a lineup. Um, and I think that the, the sliders themselves that have been optimized for that particular contest are going to lead you in the right direction with ownership period, right? Like tonight, I think it's pretty unlikely. You know, one thing we can actually do is let's see what the lowest total owned lineup in our pool of 500 is. Um, Cause I'm curious. So we have a lineup that's 47% owned, right? Um, four, three stack with angels and Yankees, uh, two somewhat lower owned pitching options here. Um, it is a saber score of 85, so it wouldn't be as high up in your pool. Um, so, I mean, this is a nine game slate. So like, I bet, you know, last night, 15 game slate, it's definitely possible for you to get a lineup that is 
down there at like 25, 30% total cumulative lineup ownership, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it too much. Um, you know, that says more about, I think, uh, so, sometimes I think that says more about inefficient ownership amongst the field, uh, than anything else. So not, not a big concern for me. Um, okay. And then Dwayne says, um, how come we never get multiple lineups with a hundred saber score? I know it's ranking from best to worst. Does that mean the second best lineup with a saber score of 99.3 could be considered 100 within another build? Yeah. So I 100. So the top lineup is always saber score 100. It is standardized to 100. You actually can get very rarely. You can get builds where you actually have two lineups that have a 100 saber score. That's actually possible. Um, it basically just means, you know, like this is all this is, this is a calculation. This is a, we have an algorithm that calculates this here. Um, and we normalize it to 100 so that the, whatever, whatever of your pool of 500, the lineup that has the biggest number coming out of this calculation here gets 100. And then everything else is standardized to that. Uh, if two lineups have the exact same score and they're both the best lineup, you can get a, you can get two that have 100 that, that actually can happen. Um, but you are touching on a really good point here where Saber score is intended only to compare lineups within the same build, right? This is, this is only a relative calculation. It is not a absolute calculation. In other words, this is not saying this is the best lineup that you can play in any contest and that this lineup is better than any lineup in any other build that has a Saber score less than 100. That is not what this is saying. This is purely saying that we believe this to be the highest expected value lineup for a 20 max from 10 to 50,000 entrance of this pool of 500. Uh, and it really should, you should never be comparing Saber scores of lineups between builds, even, even builds on identical settings. Right, it is a purely it is a relative tool to determine what the best lineup is from a pool of lineups that are all graded together, um, and that's a really important note to make. Um, in fact, you know, we part of the prop part of the reason we we changed this to standardized to 100 um, that happened maybe maybe 18 months ago, a year or a year ago or so, uh, is we we were running into issues with people running builds to just try to maximize saber score outright which basically ultimately would end up everybody cranking up their sliders a ton like this. Uh, and that's obviously uh, not good. So we changed it there to kind of try to try to make this not seem so much like something you wanted to maximize at all costs. Uh, but anyway, that's a tangent. Uh, the point here um, is that um, th this is a relative calculation that really should only be used to compare lineups within the same build. So I see some questions coming in, in YouTube chat here. Uh, I will get to those in a second. I'm going to hit the other questions here uh, in um, in YouTube chat here. Um, first of all, from rogue, um, he said, can you cover how to factor in percentiles into your slash a process and the pros and cons behind using them? Yeah. So percentiles are interesting. Um, so first of all, and this is like a technicality, I suppose, uh, but you can't use percentiles if you are also using custom projections, just the way we are set up. Um, because I often end up making adjustments to some projections based on ownership. Like I never actually end up using percentiles uh, because I because of the way that my process actually ends up working. So, but hypothetically, right? Like what, what are the percentiles? The percentiles are essentially a way, I would say, to squeeze out a little bit more upside 
on an individual player level at the expense of average performance, right? So what's actually happening here, we have our pool of 500 lineups. We've sorted by the best 20, right? And we have player projections here, right? Well, the, the, the player projections are not, as we've talked about before, directly used when you build lineups. Actually, what's happening is each of these lineups is represented by a simulation, right? Where this lineup is the best lineup you could play for that given set of simulations. And, uh, you know, in this lineup, Burns probably didn't score 20.1. He scored whatever he scored in that actual sim, right? So you're, you're naturally getting upside there. But when you change a percentile and say, use the 95th percentiles instead, you are basically shifting his outcome to his 95th, his mean outcome to his 95th percentile. And you will have the, the net effect, I would say, of that will be you will essentially ignore more or less the entire bottom range of outcomes for that particular player, right? And that includes not even the bottom. You'll include like basically the entire bottom 95th percentile or the bottom 95% of outcomes completely is, is essentially the, the net effect of doing that. Um, it can mean that you play lineups that have a little bit higher upside that squeeze out a little bit more upside uh, at the expense of average performance. Your average lineup score might go down a little bit. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, because this all happens in the post build screen, it's just a sorting method. It's not rebuilding lineups. So the risk here, I would say, is somewhat low because worst case, you're just going to select for a different set of 20 from your 500 than you would have originally. Um, I, again, ultimately, I don't know how useful it is. I don't use it very often, even if I could use it with like also making adjustments to projections. I, I don't know how valuable it is. Just again, knowing how projection, how how the sims are used to build lineups, I think it's somewhat redundant. I don't think it's super necessary. Um, I do know, you know, some of the other folks on the SaberSim team disagree with me. Matt has come on and talked a little bit before about how, in particular, he thinks it's useful uh, in sports like NBA. Um, I would say overall, one of my favorite ways uh, to use percentiles is to like visualize what maybe you are asking a lineup to do. Uh, and what I mean, right, is like if you kind of have a sense of uh, how many fantasy points you might need to take down a tournament. Uh, you know, maybe you're maybe you're playing a large field GPP or something like that, right? And you kind of have a sense uh, that, you know, a nine-game slate, maybe I need 225 fantasy points or something like that to take something down. You can kind of set this percentile until you get that. This is kind of actually a little bit overkill. So maybe we'll use the 85th percentile, right? And and kind of use it as a, a almost a research tool or a way to, to think about some of these players and basically say, you know, if I'm going to play Spencer Strider, if I'm going to get a lot of exposure to Spencer Strider to get a lineup up to 190 points, I, I'm going to need approximately like 28 points out of him, right? That's kind of like what I need to get. I need 35 points out of Corbin, Corbin Burns uh, to, to get there for this lineup to pay off for it to really, you know, to get there. And baseball's weird because this isn't actually how like this would end up like this isn't actually how this would likely end up happening. In reality, you'd probably have like, you know, you might have Austin Riley hit like two home runs and score 38, but Dansby Swanson scores like eight or something like that, right? Uh, but I think it can still be kind of a useful tool there. So those are some of the, the the options there. Those are some of the things that I think can be useful with percentiles. Again, for me personally, it's just not something I use. Um, so uh, I can I can kind of come up with some ideas of how I might use it. I, I just don't. Um, I think, you know, an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes with the... Um, lost my train of thought with the Sims themselves will help uh, reinforce that there um, of, of why you don't necessarily need it in the same way you might on, on another tool or something like that. So, 
Um, all right, cool. Uh, Gus, last question in Slack, and then we hop over to YouTube chat. Um, real quickly, I saw this. So uh, HC said, what happens though if you use them before you built? Um, you can't anymore. That's an old feature that we that we removed. The only way you could use percentiles um, before the build is if you downloaded custom projections from SaberSim and then re-uploaded like the 95th percentile as the mean. Uh, if you were to do that, they would function the same way as other custom projections, right? They would We would shift the player's distribution that far to the right, I guess, in that particular situation and build that way. Um, that would be a riskier way of using percentiles, right? Because your lineups, you would be building a pool with those numbers. Uh, so it would probably even just exaggerate the potentially higher upside at the expense of average performance there. So, um, okay. So Gus said, when you stop a build before it reaches 500 or 1500, are we possibly taking away the potential of let's say lineup 500 or 1500 being our best Sabre score lineup or our lineups built in order of Sabre score? I hope this makes sense. Thanks. Uh, no, I mean, well, yes, you are, you are potentially taking away some potential. I would say lineups are not going to just be built in order of Sabre score. Right. Um, so you know, I mean, the yeah, you you definitely sacrifice a little bit if you stop a build early. And if you're out of time, you're out of time, right? Sometimes I have to do that. I like to build pools of 1500. I've mentioned that before, but like yesterday, last night, for example, I was up against it. I barely got my lineups in time yesterday. Um, and I was very close. I had to cut a, a couple builds short there at the end uh, and just, you know, you take what you can get. But uh, I would say it's probably not a safe assumption that lineups it would be an interesting experiment how correlated Saber score was to how how early or later that lineup was built. I do think there's probably, and this is kind of more of a thought of ex- thought experiment. There's probably some correlation there, where like since we are, I don't know. It's interesting. It's very interesting. I think there's probably a light correlation there where lineups built earlier in the build are probably likely on average to be the better lineups. But I don't know how strong of that that correlation is, and and in theory, you would sacrifice something if you cut a build off early because the the best lineup could be your 450th, and you cut off at 400 or something like that. So that's also, I mean, that reason entirely is why I think there is like a decent argument to be made that you should always build as many lineups as possible, like you should in general, assuming you have time build with a pool size of 1500 now. The reality is, I think you don't need that many most of the time. Um, but I think from a theoretical standpoint, you you would be you would be better off doing that. Um, at least squeezing out like a few fraction points of of expected value there. So all right, let's jump over to YouTube chat. Patrick says, is there a timestamp of the updated projections and ownership for PGA? I don't see the timestamp listed. I want to be precise and up to date. Yeah, so we typically it doesn't change. Um our we run like Sims early in the week and generally the projections don't change at all. Um, I would say, um, let me see. The only situation I can think of where something would change would be ownership would be rebuilt if somebody withdraws, right? Um, but there's no, there's typically not, there's not news breaking throughout the week that would affect the projections. Um, so, I know you had mentioned here as well, just want to make sure that you're good to build lineups. I think you can start now. Um, like I'll probably I'll probably build my lineups for uh, the US Open uh, this afternoon, probably. So, but I, w- I, not, I wouldn't be waiting for any news to come out or anything like that. 
Looks like Shady uh, was maybe shipping. Hopefully, uh, hopefully still uh, up there on top. The the swings can come fast in baseball. Uh, it can be looking like a, a a really good slate into a bad slate pretty fast. So, um, White Sox are up. Cool. Let's see. Uh, Jay Brown says if you build lineups and you send projections and exposure back to the homepage, what does that do for your next build? Um, and how does that affect them? Yeah. So I mean, it, it basically it it requires the builder to follow those, or in the case of projections, use those. Right. So if we go back here, do we still have these? No, we don't. Okay. Let's go back to our build. Oh, this is the early slate. That's why. Right. So let's go back to this build and do this again here. Um, but it, it basically it forces it forces those things to be followed here. Let's set the percentiles back to normal so we don't end up with anything weird here. Okay. So like if we set, you know, 70% burns, uh, and we'll just do a couple. Let's do like 35% max on some of these brewers bats. And let's go pick some pitcher here and say, um, let's say we want 40% McClanahan here. And then we take this and then we use this send, right? And actually let's adjust a projection too, just for fun. Let's take Spencer Strider and knock him down to 13. Okay. Whoops. I want to send both back. Uh, send. So now when we go back here, right? Now this is if we were to build another build here, right? It we are required the builder now has to follow these rules, right? It has to use 13 as the average projection for Spencer Strider instead of 15.2. It is required to use Shane McClanahan in at least 40% of our lineups. It is required to use no more than um 35% Rowdy Tellas, right? These these just kind of become rules that the builder has to follow. So uh, the most useful, I think, use the, the most useful use case for this um, is if you like put a lot of work in on one build and made a lot of adjustments to exposures or projections or or things like that, and then you needed to rebuild for some reason, right? Maybe a maybe there's a big scratch right before lock, or um, maybe you did that an hour before lock, and now you have a lot more lineups or something like that, right? That's that's probably the best use case for it. So, all right, what else? Any other questions for me here? I think I'm all, all of a sudden I'm all caught up. Um, I swear, I thought there were other questions coming in here. Uh, maybe I missed one. Um, but a couple, I mean, I'll, I'll note a couple comments here. Rogan said, I noticed my Sabre scores get reevaluated after changing to 75th, for example. Just curious, thanks. Yeah, and they do. Um, the same way adjusting projections works there. So um, Patrick said, the Stanley Cup finals are here. I always played regular season hockey DFS, never showdown. Do we use the same strategy and line correlation in the same as showdown? Um, I actually, so it's interesting. Um, I, so what you will see here is when you build these lineups, your, your default sliders are going to be 0, 0, 10. And that means we're going to get a single game simulation as every single lineup, right? So if we build these, uh, and I think the hockey builder can be a little bit slower, so be patient here. But uh, oh, never mind. Jeez Louise, that thing's going fast. Um, every single lineup is going to be an optimal for a given game sim. So you are going to probably see some correlations between lines here, right? Because in in general, right, like those guys are on the ice together. So in a sim where you know McKinnon is the optimal captain, it is likely that the other guys that share the ice with him at that time are also successful. 
I don't think it's something that you need to like force in the same way. Uh, and in fact, it might be, it might be so popular because like people know that there's correlation there that it might actually be in your favor if you were especially playing the really large field stuff to, to avoid that, right? Like similar, you know, one of the things I talk about for like football showdown is pairing players that are negatively correlated with each other to get different because while they have a negative average correlation across the full range of outcomes, right? There's certainly outcomes where both players can be successful, right? I don't know why this team popped in my head, but the lions are on the slate, right? For like some terrible November Monday night football game or something like that. Right. Well, you play Swift and Jamal Williams together because yes, of course they're negatively correlated on average, but nobody's going to do that. You get different and they, they obviously have, have optimal outcomes together. Um, the, I imagine even for the Stanley Cup finals that the contests in hockey are a little bit smaller than that. Like you don't need to get that different. Uh, overall, the point I'm making here is I would say in general, I would I would let that correlation show through naturally in your lineups as it shows up in the Sims themselves. And I would I would probably avoid like forcing any additional correlation in here because I think all you're ultimately really going to do doing that is making you play lineups that are probably more likely to be duped. Um, so, but yeah, good question. Um, Rogue said, uh, any golf tips played last few tourneys with minimal changes in saber. I've done well. Curious how to find those edges. It's a tough sport. I will say that it's a hard sport. Um, salaries are pretty efficient. You typically don't end up with like crazy wrong salaries because Vegas follows Vegas or DraftKings and FanDuel follow Vegas mostly, and Vegas lines are are fairly efficient. Uh, also, ownership ends up being like pretty efficient. Um, it's not completely efficient, but it's it you don't you don't really get out of control ownerships, and there's minimal correlation. Um, so I would say ultimately, uh, a lot of times my my tips for golf are really pushing an edge where I can find it. So I mentioned ownership is pretty efficient. It's not perfectly efficient. One of my favorite sports overall to build and run research builds for is golf. Um, and I will actually, what I will do is I will go through first and I will make adjustments to, I will typically go kind of salary range by salary range. And I will make adjustments to ownership based on kind of what I'm seeing and hearing out there in the industry, right? Um, Rick Rungood, Pat Mayo, um, who else is out there? Um, even some of like, even some of like Saber Sims competitors, free shows out there, I think can just be interesting to get an idea of like, who are people talking about making some sharp adjustments to ownership projections? Like here's, I'll give you a, kind of a freebie. I think we're under on Rory, right? Um, I think Rory's actually going to be a little bit more popular than, than 13%. And then running a research bill to figure out where there's going to be ownership inefficiencies and playing and fading guys based on that is probably my favorite way to get an edge in golf. Um, on weeks like this one, when we have a little bit of a weather edge, Right, we have a little bit of a weather edge this week, so I'll, I'll use Kevin Roth's uh, um, PGA weather thing here. Um, we have a little bit of a weather edge, right, where golfers teeing off on the Thursday AM and Friday PM split are going to have a little bit of an advantage, right? Um, the Thursday afternoon has really high wind gusts. Uh, I think there can be a little bit of an edge there of either giving players that are teeing off in the morning window a projection boost or creating some kind of a grouping rule and saying, you know, depends on how extreme you want to get. Um, I typically like to give guys a little bit of like maybe two 
couple points of projection boost if they're teeing off in the good window there. Um, but you know, you can get as extreme as only playing guys in the beneficial window. Um, I think you can also set a group and say, you know, force at least four guys from this tee time into every single lineup, something like that. Um, the sad thing is for at the moment, we don't have the tee time data in the app. So you will have to do, um, you can typically do, let me see here. Let me go ahead and pull this up. Um, you can typically search just like PGA tour. Yeah. PGA tour tee times, um, and go and research these tee times yourself and make adjustments to these golfers based on when they're teeing off. Um, and I think on a week where there is a weather edge, you can get basically what you're getting there is correlation. You're getting like the golfer, if the weather, if the wind is really bad, you have a little bit of an edge by stacking up some of the better tee time windows there. So that's another way to get a little bit of an edge. But um, last note on that is I would say a way to kind of get a, an additional golf edge is by contest selection. And actually I, it's not even contest selection. I'll, I'll call it slate selection. Um, the majors are really soft. The contests are huge, right? Enormous. The variance is going to be very high, but you have this, this big influx of people into the DraftKings lobby for major weeks in golf. That really is only like nothing is similar. Nothing resembles that. Unless you're talking about something like football, right? Like there's no single MLB slate or week of baseball that has that big of this influx of soft money flooding the ecosystem like you have for golf majors. Um, so I do think also, you know, I would hate, I, I, I don't want to tell, uh, I, I, I don't want to tell anybody to like not play slates if you want to, but if you are maximizing your edge, I do think taking a focus on these major weeks and maybe maybe scaling back your bankroll a little bit on weeks where there is it's just a normal week of golf uh, and the contests are a little bit smaller I think is a wise idea because it is it is a sport where edges are a little bit smaller like it is just straight up a harder to beat sport um just by the nature of the game but um last note on this and I guess this is kind of more on the practical side here uh, a few things I would note so the ownership fade slider, like if you come in here and you're saying, okay, I'm playing the mini max, right? It's 150,000 lineups or something this week. Uh, if you build on these default settings here, this ownership fade has a pretty strong impact on golf, like an extremely strong impact. Um, and that is a good thing for most of these guys, right? I would love to be pushed in the direction of playing a bunch of, you know, if we actually get 4% owned Scotty Scheffler, I'm in. 5% on Victor Hovland. I'm in, right? Like I love these, I love low owned golfers like that at the high end salary ranges in a week where you have to get really different to be successful. Where you need to be careful is I think that ownership fade slider can push you a little bit too in the direction of playing a lot of these lower, very low salary, low projected guys because their ownership projection is so low. I would recommend kind of one of two options here. I have found for me personally, that I like to turn down the ownership fade slider and instead handle a lot of my ownership-based decisions more on the projection side, right? If I want to get to a little bit of more Scotty Scheffler, given his ownership, I want to make sure he has projection parity with some of the other golfers in his range, right? The alternative idea here, and I think this is probably easier if you are newer to golf, would be to leave that where it is by default, but to prune your player pool. 
and to remove golfers that have a like a low overall chance of success from showing up in your lineups, period. Uh, one way that I've done this in the past is just kind of figure out where that break-even point is of 50% chance to make the cut or less. And I will just literally just remove all of these guys from my pool. Um, and actually, like, the easiest way to do it is actually by adding guys into your pool. So I will basically go say, like, John Rahm to... Lanto Griffin. And it's somewhat arbitrary. It's just a tool to make sure that you don't end up like aggressively. Uh, you don't end up with like a bunch of like three, six, six golfers in your pool because of the ownership fade. And then when we build here, let's build these lineups real quick. You'll force the builder to make tougher ownership decisions, right? To make decisions about playing like lower owned good golfers instead of lower owned bad golfers. Um, and that's purely on the practical side. That's like, to be just completely honest, that's a limitation of the way that the ownership fade works for golf at the moment. Um, but I found like, that's, that's one thing. If you're basically, you know, if you're not, if you're not as familiar with, with golf DFS and you're kind of just like rocking with what the Sims are going to be giving you out of the box, I think one of the better ways to add a little bit of value is to curate your player pool and remove some low owned golfers from your pool. So that like, you can see here now, right? Like we're getting pushed in the direction of like, Aaron Wise at 4% and Nito at 4% uh, and Homa at 6%. And even at the, let's look at the high end range. Um, And we're over the field on Scott Scheffler and we're fading some of these chalkier top end golfers, right? Like that it's a better, it's a better result uh, than, than what you'd get otherwise. So. Uh, Don says, after the recent changes to SaberSim, have you noticed any uptakes in people cashing in contests? Um, I mean, no. It, it's it's only been a week. Uh, I hope people... Uh, I, I feel like anecdotally, I like my lineups more. Um, it's a pretty small sample size. I I, I, I think, you know, we, we did enough testing on our end to feel pretty confident about this release. Um, I, I don't know if we have any... I haven't heard anything, but I mean, let me know what you guys think if you've been enjoying the re- the, the recent updates. Um, so, but yeah. Uh, Jay Brown said, if you did 150 lineups to figure out the optimal and a player's ownership was higher than the exposure, would he be considered over-owned? Um, in theory, yes, but you would probably want to do this more. You would want to, you would want to do more lineups to be more confident about that. Right. Um, so like what you are describing is very similar to what I call a research build. Right. So what I will do when I do a research build is I will build lineups like this. Let me set these settings. Right. And basically what I'm going to do here is I'm going to 15 for, I'm going to take 1500 simulations of the slate and build the optimal lineup. Right. No correlation, no ownership fade. Use the average projections from one simulation per game per lineup and do this 1,500 times. And what I ultimately get out of this is I will compare how often this play, a player shows up in the optimal lineup to their ownership projection. And at that point, if a player is showing up in less optimal lineups than their ownership projection indicates, I would argue that they are probably overowned. There are issues with this approach. This is I think this is a decent approximation here. I, there are issues with the assumptions here. First of all, like a big assumption that that goes into this is that 1,500 lineups or 1,500 sims of the slate represents the whole, represents the full range of outcomes for a slate. That's not true, right? 
that's that's an assumption that I have to make because we can only build 1,500 lineups, but it's not true. The other assumption that we make here is that the probability of a player showing up in the optimal lineup is equal to the probability of a player showing up in the winning lineup for a contest. That's also not necessarily true, right? A player could be 20% likely to show up in the optimal highest scoring lineup you could have built and have a 45% chance to show up in the winning lineup for a specific contest, right? And finally, you are at the whims here of the simulations and the ownership projections, period, right? You are essentially assuming that the sims are perfect uh, and the ownership projections are perfect. Um, but like looking at this here, and I'm realizing now that I had minimum and maximum exposure set. So unfortunately, this isn't going to be very accurate. Uh, but hypothetically, if I didn't have a minimum exposure of 40% set for Shane McLennan, uh, we could assume that Shane was going to be very underowned given these results. Uh, in reality, my my min and max exposures are messing this up, sadly. But um, yes, and I I, I I mean I think like this can be a pretty I use this to I use this every single day. I do a research build pretty much every single day, so I think it's a pretty good cool, pretty cool tool. So, any other questions for me here? What else do we got? It's all, it's, uh, it's quiet. It's quiet out there. That is okay here. Um, I see a couple people typing here. So we'll go ahead. We'll hang on. All right, cool. We have some questions coming in here. Um, let's see. Um, this is from JTR. JTR. Uh, and he said, do you ever find yourself sort of chasing a team stack that seems due but keeps not having good nights? Astros are my recent example. Today they finally put up six runs in the first inning. Uh, after you miss a couple or a few nights in a row, do you get off them or stick with them figuring that a big game is finally coming? I, in general, am probably the like least recent form, short-term history person there is. Uh, when it comes to DFS, I basically ignore it in both directions. Like in golf, a lot of times, you know, people love to, people love to play golfers that are like in form, right. That have been playing well recently. And I couldn't care less. Um, same way with this, right. I don't, I don't ever feel like a player's due or a, or a stack is due at all. Right. Like I will play them if they're a good play and they've hit terribly the last week. I will play them if they are a good play and they've they've like scored 10 runs the last few nights, right? Like I don't I don't care. Um it's not something I look at. Um I do think in general like I I would actually even say above and beyond that, I I think there I think that would be like a, a bit of a recency bias there. Right? Like I would be careful looking at that. Um, unless there's something else going on there, right? Like, for example, let's say you're saying, okay, the Astros are projected really well. They have been hitting really bad. I'm going to play more of them because the field is not, because I think the field is not going to. Now, I actually think the Astros were very chalky to today's slate, but that would be a good external reason to play more of a team based on their recent history rather than just being that recent history, right? Or, um, like another example would be, you know, let's say for NBA, for example, uh, 
let's say, so one I always like to use is kind of the hot streaks example, right? Maybe you're saying, so let's say like Steph Curry has outperformed his projection by 20% the last few nights. Um, I think a bad reason to play him would be because he has, you know, he's hot, right? He's maybe 60% from three and he's hot. So you're playing Steph Curry. I don't think that's a very good reason, right? A better reason, though, would be maybe you look at his usage. And for some reason, maybe because of an injury to somebody else on the team or something like that, his usage is now up. So not he's twenty. He's scoring 20% more points a night. His usage is also up 20%, right? That is a little bit more predictive. There's a better reason to believe that will that will keep up. So in general, right, like I, I, I would be careful of, I, I guess to put it succinctly, I would be careful of like looking at recent form in that way on, on either side, playing more or less of a player because of their recent form. If there's not some other factor at play, if it's affecting ownership or if there's a, re, a true reason to believe a projection is wrong. Another one, right? Like a good one for pitchers, right? There's situations where sometimes maybe a pitcher is underperforming consistently, right? That may be a sign that they're they're injured, right? Um, maybe their velocity is down, right? And maybe you're like, I'm gonna get off of this guy, not because purely because he's pitching bad in his last three starts, but because I think there's data that indicates that he's actually hurt or it's just something like there's something not right. His his fastball is two miles an hour slower than his career average or something like that, or he's getting old. I don't know. Um, so anyway, good good question here. Um, but I, yeah, I'm Aaron says Jordan does not like the gut feeling thing, uh, all data. Yeah. And that's my approach. I mean, I will say, you know, one of the things that is really cool about Saberson, I've mentioned this before is that you can, you can apply intuition and your gut feels in a way to the Saberson process that is unlike anything else on other tools, right? Like if you're building with a traditional optimizer and you've just got a gut feeling on a guy, you kind of have to like you have to take kind of a leap of faith and basically just say like, I'm going to bump up his projection or his exposure and I'm just going to force it in there and hope it works out with Saberson. Like you can often um, let's go back to the main slate here. Well, it's actually, let's go to FanDuel because I have that weird, I have those exposures set here. Let's do something on FanDuel, right? Like you could build lineups and say, okay, I'm going to play. So I'm playing the bean ball tonight, right? The $2, the 222, right? So I'm going to use the 20 max. Uh, I'm going to build these lineups here. I'm going to build 500. And I've just got a gut play that, I don't know, I've got a gut feeling that some pitcher or some stack is the nuts tonight. I want to be all in on that team. Be- because you can build lineups on Saberson that are already optimized for this contest, that are built for upside, and because we're building you more than you need, you can basically just go through and say, like, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm all in on Shane McClanahan tonight, and I'm going to lock him in and do so in a way that is, like, safe almost. Uh, I've actually mentioned here before on stream, but it's been a while since I've talked about this. The more of a gut feeling call that you have about something, the more I'd recommend adjusting for that thing in the post-build process. The more data you have to back up your claims, the more I'd feel comfortable adjusting it in the pre-build process, right? Because the post-build process is kind of safe. The lineups are already built. They were built without that information, right? So you can come in here and say, you know what? I don't care what any, again, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm all in, Right. And do so in a way that's that's kind of safe because those lineups, like they already existed, right? You already had some probably, I already had some Shane McClanahan lineups in your pool. Um, and in this particular case, maybe I don't. And maybe that's an indication that you you don't want to do this. But um, I do think that's a, a good point here where, you know, I, I, I typically don't end up like playing that way very often, but you can. And it's very easy to. Um, so, uh, okay. 
Patrick said, did Frank Schwindel of the Cubs get negative points for giving up a home run when he pitched to Higashioka on Sunday slate? Uh, no. Batters don't get pitching points even if they come into pitch. Um, and pitchers don't get – I guess that's really only in the case of o- Otani, really. Um, but like a player is either a pitcher or a hitter on a slate, and they only get points for, for those. Um, Ramsey says in tennis, are you doing anything special with lineup construction with running, running lines, simulations, etc.? At the moment, we don't have full tennis support. Uh, so right now, if you pull up tennis, all we have here is basically the empty slates, no projections, no ownerships. Uh, you can come in here and build and, and upload your own custom projections. Uh, but you will basically be building as if it was just a traditional optimizer. Um, will on our team, our, uh, one of our data scientists here is working on tennis simulations right now. As we speak, um, I have not played very much tennis DFS. When we get our simulations up, I will likely have Will come join me on office hours sometime to talk about the Sims, uh, to talk about what he's learned for, about tennis DFS strategy uh, as he's as he's built this out. Um, we may have uh, w- what we've done in the past is we've done kind of what we call an expert stream, where I come, I have a a tennis DFS expert come on and join me on the show and and do kind of an interview style stream uh, to learn a little bit more about tennis DFS. Um, So at the moment I have like no idea. Um, I, I, I've played one tennis slate so far this season. Um, I had a few tickets to the first day or the second day of the French open and I did not cash any of them. <laughs> so I'm not the person to talk to add, to talk about tennis DFS for the moment. Um, I'm excited to learn more. I'm very excited for us to get our tennis Sims out. I expect, uh, I expect that a lot of the conversations that I will have about tennis on those streams and on the show, as we move forward, will resemble some of the MMA conversations that we talk about, uh, where you're generally talking about a, you're talking about a sport where you have binary or, or multimodal outcomes, essentially, but like kind of a binary win or loss outcomes for each player. Uh, I, I suspect that duplication, at least on the slates that are a little bit smaller, is going to be a concern. Um, and I, I think it's I think I would not be surprised to see strategically on, on strictly the DFS side. Right. Nobody's saying that uh, nobody's saying that um, tennis, the sport resembles MMA, the sport. But I do think I would not be surprised to see that the the DFS sports have some similarities there because they are both 1v1 games uh, and a slate made up of like a bunch of 1v1 games. So anyway, um, Ramsey said, I've been using my own projections and doing well so far, but I do well usually anyway. I like the way it's simulating. That's good. Um, It probably probably means that you have pretty pretty strong projections. So because I mean, and one thing I should be clear, like we are not simulating anything. Right. If you are uploading projections here, like I'll just use salary-based projections as an example, right? Like all that is happening here is like we're we're essentially treating it as a traditional optimizer and just optimizing based on the average projection. There is no sims yet. So all right, cool. Uh let's see. Um, a couple other questions here. Matt says, let's see. Um, Hey Jordan, back on the research builds Would running multiple and combining them, increase your confidence them or just a waste of time. And then for stack research builds, sometimes I run another after I just ran one and see drastically different optimal team five stack percentages. Is that just because the build is using that one SIM and now using another, or are there other reasons, assuming no scratches, no lineups, et cetera. Uh, all was the same slate by as both were run. Okay. So on the first one, I would be careful combining research builds. It's interesting. Uh, but I'm scared. 
it's interesting. My concern would be that you would potentially overvalue like I'm I'm worried that you would start to get into a situation where you're you're going to double count in certain situations. That's my biggest concern there. Um, what's nice about doing it all in the same build, even if you sacrifice some accuracy there, is that you know that like sims are only used once and you're not going to have any double counting issues. That would be my biggest concern. I don't know how valid of a concern that actually is because the likelihood of selecting a given slate sim the exact same way twice is probably pretty low. But even if you grab the exact same slate sim or two, th two sims that were very similar, you'd start to run into that issue. Uh, I'd say you could give it a try. I'm, I have, I, I think there's, there's a trade-off there, right? On one hand, you're going to risk double counting for the sake of having a bigger data set. On the other, you're going to have no double counting and have a smaller data set. I would rather have a smaller data set and know that the, the, information was accurate and precise but maybe there's maybe there's value there so i don't know um for stack research builds i can't think of why they would change that dramatically that seems kind of weird i can't say that i've ever seen that i would say I would, one thing i know this sounds silly but i would really make sure that it is a research build right you can i mean at default settings when ownership fade starts to come in uh, you can run into issues where the ownership fade slider is is uh causing mischief and and throwing off your exposures in that way um or maybe the sim, a sim ran and changed the game, right? Like there can be sometimes, you know, like here's an example, right? Sometimes a lineup, both lineups will be confirmed for a team, and then like we'll get noticed that the roof status for roof, roof status for a game has changed, right? That happened uh, for the early slate here today, right? Um, early in the day, we were much we were higher on reds and diamondbacks, and then I think we got a notification that this roof was closed, right? Which brings down the temperature of the game and then it reduces the the run scoring environment and i think that happened after both lineups were confirmed so if you ran a research build right before that and one after that you would have gotten different results there um that's the only thing i can really think of there of why there might be a discrepancy there um i mean the one other note that comes to mind is that once you apply like as you apply rules to the builder even in the form of stack rules right you are going to increase you are going to increase a little bit of the noise there where like like that it's a little less pure of a calculation there since you're you're building up you're building an optimal lineup for a slate simulation but you're forcing a rule onto that calculation right it increases like there's a, there's variance of that build that gets increased but i wouldn't imagine that would have huge swings um so i don't know i mean i know you said assuming no scratches no, new lineups etc which like assuming you had exactly the same data going in and out on both sides the only other thing I can think of there is that that is you are just seeing the variance of only having 1,500 lineups. That's my best guess. So, um, okay, let's keep it going here. Uh, Ed says, quick question. If I change a projection in the first build and then I take a player down 5%, if SaberSim has a reprojection for that player, say he's taken down 10% in SaberSim, does my projection go down because SaberSim does or does it stay the same as when I changed it? We will never, ever overwrite a custom projection. So if I bump Corbin Burns up to 25, he will be 25 for the rest of the day until I, until I change it. Even if later we run a new SIM and his SaberSim projection becomes 18, this will still say 25. We will never overwrite a custom projection. The only exception to that rule is if a player gets ruled out. Like actually out. 
um, then we will mark that player as out. So you don't end up with a player out, but we don't want people's hard work with their uh, projection updates to get overridden because we ran a new SIM for a game and an umpire changed. So, uh, okay, let's see. All right. HC said, I noticed at the start that the start of the baseball sims are slower than say the NBA ones were an example, say Cubs comes out at 630. The sim won't run until 640. Any way to get that to speed up? Yeah, we're looking at that. That's a data provider problem for us. So we rely on a handful of different data providers for lineups um, and they are somewhat slow. So underdog is really fast with their data. Uh, in terms of confirmed lineups, but it is a little bit hard because they only they only provide like the this is kind of this is getting into the nitty gritty. They only provide the last names of the player when they post post their lineups, which can cause some issues on our end of making sure that that's actually hooked up to the right player. So we wait a little bit longer to basically know a little bit more accurately what that starting lineup is and when it's confirmed. So it causes the sim to run a little later. Um, we are looking in ways to speed that up. We are looking into ways to speed that up. I mean, the nice thing about baseball is that typically individual teams don't post their starting lineups like right before their individual game starts. But you can end up in situations where, you know, like for this early slate where the Giants lineup comes out two hours before this game starts, but only 15 minutes before lock. And then you're like, come on, Sim, run. Like, let's go. And it's not running or something like that. And I know that's frustrating. So we're looking in ways to speed that up, but. It's a, it's a data provider issue for us for now. Um, Rogue said, do you ever rerun research builds closer to lock 8 a.m. Versus, versus like 4 p.m. for a 7 p.m. lock? Uh, if I have time, like free time, and I'm just interested, I will run one early. But most of the time, uh, I, I just run my final research. Like uh, most of the time, unless I run one on this stream, I run my final research build around lock. And, I, and that's the bill I actually use. Um, so... Patrick said, could you explain the definition of bimodal in plain English, lol? Bimodal, yeah, it means um, that there, and uh, there's probably some smarter people than I am here in chat, and I'm probably going to butcher this definition, but kind of what it means functionally for me is that there are two like sections of a distribution for a particular uh, range of outcomes. So if we take someone like, um, you know, someone with like kind of a 50% chance to win, um, Let's see. So these are these are kind of bimodal. Um, actually, you know what a better bimodal distribution is than MMA is golf. Golf has a pretty bimodal distribution here. So there's this big binary event in golf and it's the cut, right? Um, so you have, uh, let's pick a guy that has like kind of like 55% chance to make the cut. We'll pick uh, Davis Riley here, right? So his outcomes are going to be basically split in half. There's these outcomes where he doesn't make the cut. He doesn't get to play in the weekend, right? And then there's almost this kind of big empty area here um, of, of section where there are no outcomes. And then these are all the outcomes where he makes the cut, right? And you have basically kind of two different distribution curves, two different ranges of outcomes for two different events. That's why it's, that's why it's bimodal, right? There's, there's two, I guess there's two modes. Like if we knew that he was going to make the cut, this would be kind of a completely separate distribution 
than this one. That's that's what that means. So, so when I was talking about tennis, right, there would I would expect to also see somewhat of a bimodal distribution because first things first, either the in a tennis match you're either going to win or you're going to lose, and then you have this probably a range of outcomes of all of your win outcomes and a range of outcomes of all of your lose outcomes. So you'd have kind of a dish a bimodal distribution. So. Uh, Corey says, uh, how much do you wager your, a month yourself on DFS? Um, I guess it kind of depends. It depends on like what sports are in season and things like that. Um, I don't know. I, I've kind of scaled a little bit back somewhat, um, this, this year, um, than, than what I've used to play. I would say, you know, on a typical baseball slate right now, I think it's easier for me to, um, talk about it on a per slate basis. Uh, I'll probably have like a few hundred dollars going on a given night or slate for me. So depends. I mean, it depends a little bit too on like the slate and how much time I have um, and like what's going on and things like that. But yeah, I would say that's like a decent approximation. So I'm not like an extremely high volume player. Um, a lot of my action comes at like the contests that are $5 and under and things like that. Um, I'm not maxing the the flagship or anything like that, but, uh, Jay Brown says thoughts on using the SIM projections on prize picks. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it can be in- interesting here. Um, I, I think it can be a useful tool. I mean, the one thing to be careful with is, uh, like, pr- I don't, I don't, I don't, I think prize picks and, and a lot of those sites that are out there are, if you have legal sports betting in your state, you can probably get better odds on what you are betting on regulated sports books. I don't think you are getting good lines or effective lines on prize picks and things like that. Now, the flip side of that is I know that those sites can often be very, very slow to adjust. So like you can find sometimes there are situations where the books, the regulated sports books have adjusted to news where prize picks has not. That is an opportunity where maybe on the flip side, there's a, there's the other side, but like all things being equal, if the same bet is available out there on like DraftKings uh, as there is on prize picks or something like that, I, I bet, I, I would say typically you'd probably get a better line um, on the sports books, but broadly speaking, uh, yeah, I think uh, there are definitely a lot of ways to use the, the sim projections um, for for betting. So, but um, Corey said, I feel like the edge in most sports is drying up in DFS with high rake. It depends. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I I think I think it's still very very much a beatable game. I mean, I, I, when I, when I look around, like to just be completely honest and I look around at like what gets talked about in this space and what other tools do, like, I mean, even just straight up, just thinking about like, like how much of the field is using a traditional lineup optimizer to build their lineups and how bad that tool is at doing what you are trying to do to beat a GPP. I feel like that is a compelling enough reason to believe that there is still a pretty big edge in DFS. And that is still even just a portion of the DFS bucket as a whole, right? Like if you're watching this stream, you live in a DFS bubble and your perception of what the field of DFS is probably assumes that that those, the, the average player in DFS is a lot more skilled than they are, especially in 
big sports and events like golf majors and NFL uh, and maybe like special occasions for baseball and, and even basketball, right? Like there's still a lot of recreational money out there. Um, it, rake has gotten pretty high. I, I, I don't know. I, I definitely still think the game is, is very beatable uh, in its, in its current state. So, but I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. I know uh, if you watch Neil Orfield's podcast or listen to that uh, high stakes, um, he asks players that he has on there pretty frequently, like what their thoughts are on this particular question. And I always think it's interesting, the diversity in opinions on this question from players that are very, very sharp. Um, but I mean, DFS has evolved a lot over the past five or six years. It's evolved considerably. Um, and there, there have, there are, have consistently been new edges to push new things, get talked about um, things that are commonplace, right. Uh, and almost table stakes. Like you must do this to be successful were massive edges. Um, just a few years ago. And I don't know if that can be, I don't know if that can continue to infinity, but there is a part of me that thinks, you know, ultimately you're still playing players, right? So like the game should continue to get be beatable, right? Because you're beating like other players. I don't know. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Good question. Always a fun thing to think about. Um, but I think uh, we'll go ahead and leave the stream there for today. That was a fun one. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. Uh, if there was anybody that uh, that double dipped with me here uh, and watched me on the Run Pure show right before this uh, and then watched the full office hours here with me, um, appreciate you a bunch. Um, uh, but I appreciate everybody that tuned in here uh, and watched the stream here today. Also to everybody that watches and listens to the podcast version of this show uh, when it goes up on various podcast outlets uh, every afternoon. Uh, we will be right back here again tomorrow, same time, same place. Hopefully actually a little bit earlier, maybe about six minutes earlier, right? Uh, be on time tomorrow is what I'm trying to say. 2 PM Eastern. Uh, hopefully I will be, uh, off to a good start with my U S open lineups. Uh, maybe have uh, a nice little, uh, three hours into the Thursday, uh, three hours into Thursday in golf and, and maybe already sweating my lineups. Always love to do that. But, um, anyway, enjoy the, the games tonight. Enjoy game one of the uh, Stanley Cup finals here tonight. Go Avs, of course. Uh, I know everybody here uh, is is rooting uh, firmly for the Avalanche here. Um, so go Avs, and uh, I will see you guys all here tomorrow. Until then, take care. See ya.